everybody. Welcome to another wonderful episode of Sound Pollution. This week we are interviewing uh, the Groovebirds, which I've had on the show before, and I really, really love their music. So if you make sure to click those links below, go show them some love. Uh, but before we launch into all of that, Brent and I wanted to take a moment to discuss the really sad loss in music on the 25th, which was the passing of Taylor Hawkins, the drummer for the Foo Fighters. We more or less just wanted to do a recognition of Taylor Hawkins. He, uh, as y'all know, he died on March 25th. He passed away in Colombia while they were on tour with the, while he was on tour with the Foo Fighters in South America. Taylor was 50 years old. He rose to prominence as a drummer for Alanis Morissette. And then later, he would be known as a drummer for the Foo Fighters, which he started playing in 1999. 25 years. Till his passing. I did some research on him, so I have some stuff if you want me to talk about it. Please go. Okay. So I was going through his stuff, and I found out that probably the first drummers that influenced him was Roger Taylor of Queen and Stuart Copeland of the Police. On the internet, found that... um, Stuart Copeland was talking about Taylor's spirit. And he said, he is 50 years old, going on eight. And then he followed up by saying, he was a fan of everybody, a real enthusiast. Even though he was a star, he was very interested in all other people and how they got there and what they do. And then he went on to say, talking about his death, he goes, nobody saw Taylor coming. He was just a force of life that seemed unstoppable. He goes, the music, of course, is going to be important to a lot of people, but the hang, that's what I'll miss. So that's kind of what Stuart Copeland said about him. Dave Grohl referred to Taylor as his best friend and partner in crime in his autobiography, The Storyteller, Tales of Life and Music. It's a really good book, by the way. Read it. It is. He referred to their relationship like Beavis and Butthead, part Mm -hmm. dumb Mm -hmm. and dumber, and hyperactive blue lights, air drumming wherever they went. I think that's that's a nice way to remember him. Hawkins also co-starred with the Foo Fighters in a film called Studio 66. It released last month. It was a horror movie, comedy. So he's going to be greatly missed, not only by his friends and family musicians, but the fans. Um you- he was also Iggy Pop in CBGB, wasn't he? I think mm-hmm. he was. I didn't even recognize him in that. It, somebody had to point it out, man. I'm sorry. It's I crazy, isn't it? I didn't even recognize him until somebody said something. Yeah. But he's going to be missed, and I think it's good that we can always go and find him in the music, or the movies now. And then there's also a bunch of videos, documentaries, where you can kind of learn a little bit more about him. I think the best thing that I read on him was that he was a fan of everybody, a real enthusiast. And even though he was a star, he was interested in all other people. I think that that was the kind of guy he was. He was just really excited about everything. And so that's kind of why I think Stuart Copeland said he was 50 going on eight. Yeah, I could see that from the interviews. Um this one hit me hard. Uh, I don't know about you. For my generation, I would say the Foo Fighters were one of the best bands easily in the last 30, well, 25 years, obviously. Um, it was for me, the Foo Fighters, and I know I will catch such shit for this. Uh, they were to me like they picked up where a lot of grunge bands kind of left off. Blasphemous. I know, but they did. Um not a lot of them kept going and it was just every time every time that beat dropped i was like that's the foo fighters i fucking knew like i didn't have to hear dave i just had to hear the guitar and the drum and i was like that's the foo fighters that's the foo fighters they are my uh favorite band to date they're your favorite i didn't know they were your favorite they they are my favorite um we have a rule in my car and my daughter made it so i pass on the love uh, you don't change the station when Foo Fighters, Nirvana, or Green Day come on in my car. It doesn't matter what song. You just don't change the station. So um, this one's sad, and I really want to send our love. I mean, we didn't know him personally, but it felt like we did. 
And I really want to send our love out to his bandmates because you, you play music for that many years together in your family. And I really, I really feel for their loss and I'm very sorry. And I want to send love to their family, his wife, his, his children. And uh, the Foo Fighters did ask on Twitter that their privacy be respected. And so I want to encourage everybody to continue to do that. And uh, the Foo Fighters have canceled all their tour dates at this time. And we just need to have patience and understanding and love for everybody who's feeling this one. So how did you find out? I, uh, you know, because I get on Facebook every day and promote us. And I got on Facebook and a friend of mine or an acquaintance of mine said, oh, my God, not Taylor. Not my favorite band. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I Googled it and I was real sad for like a weekend. (laughs) I'm still sad, but I was like, I texted Brent. I was like, oh, my God. That's me in case y'all are wondering. Yeah, I was. I had to text my buddy because like, I was like, no, no, just just sad. Uh, sad. It feels like the end of an era and I hope I'm wrong. I was sad, too. I was uh, working my second job and we were getting ready to head up to talk to some artists in Dallas. And I got in the car and. My boss was driving, and uh, his wife was in the back seat. She goes, hey, did you hear about Taylor? And I go, what? what? She goes, Taylor Hawkins died. And I was like, no, he didn't. Sure enough, I went to the phone, pulled it up, and he had passed away. I felt sad, but, you know, that's that's going to happen. Um, if you listen to someone and – you listen to them playing and you feel like you're kind of a part of their life. It's going to hurt a little. But anyway, yeah. we just wanted to take some time and talk a little bit about him. And if y'all want to respond and comment about him or reach out to us, that's fine. We'll listen. I think we're actually going to play something. So you'll be able to. Her Brent's. Uh request and uh before we launch into that i just want to say uh real quick we own no rights to this song (laughs) um please please don't get us in trouble we own no rights to the song this is taylor's band and the song is range rover bitch take it away taylor take it away taylor rest in peace
I've got a lot of questions for the group birds, but I'm only going to ask five. Thank you. It was hard to pare it down from 864 to five. Because you're fucking killing me, man. I love you so much, but it's too much editing. Yeah, I know. I apologize. You're you're, you're great. That's why you're here. I heard them laughing. Hello. Are they on? They are. Hey, guys. How's it hanging? So do we have Tracy Rod? Is Phil there? No, Phil could not make it. Um, He's... I'll tell you the truth. He never makes it to these things. Okay. It's just not it's his not thing. His He's a little bit like Neil Peart. He does not does not have much to do with uh, with the uh, what do you call it? The schmoozing side of things. Ah. Well, yeah. tell Phil. Are we considered the schmoozing side of things, Brent? Well, I don't know. If, I no. I my I just I was under pressure. I couldn't think of the. Uh, the no, the, I love it. The promotion side <laughs> of. Look, as long as you tell Phil that I'm disappointed and he gets the message, I'm fine with that. Oh, yeah. No. Y'all yeah. guys, I, ha- I actually had a question if y'all are ready to roll. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So uh, y'all guys said when y'all tour, it's Tracy and Rod and Phil doesn't doesn't. He does partake. sometimes. Yeah, we're trying to do put together something on the West Coast that he will partake of as much as possible. But a lot of times we end up having to do duo because it's economically more feasible, we can tour because we're a married couple, and then we put things. Oh on yeah, track. you know That's what, what I'm mean? talking about. Yeah, it's harder because like what you end up have to, having to do is save your costs if you want to tour. So the more you can do with just two, the better. You know, even though the sound is obviously exponentially improved with you know a variety of sonic scaping shall you say like if you have somebody else if you have a four piece or a three piece but we we do the best we can with what we got nowadays you know well phil doesn't seem see the thing the value of things like sleeping in your car and, you know the, the finer <laughs> things of, yeah. of life on the road so yeah uh, he's less into that because because sometimes it's a grind but it is what it is you know now that's why y'all are rock stars okay yeah that's sure. us we're just <laughs> We're like uh, grassroots bards, you know, like the days of old when you fucking, you know, cruised along and got maybe if you were lucky, you got a fed. And if they, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you have. I think that's just, kind of like days of new. Days of know. now. Maybe man. it's not that way for everybody. No, you, we, you make, okay. <laughs> Don't tell us if it's not that way for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but we like it when we get paid. That's for we, sure. We, we, yeah. Y'all guys are hilarious. Y'all are like, interviewing each other right now this is fantastic <laughs> i love everything about we'll it we'll be back in about 30 minutes y'all guys get everything out fire away man we're ready <laughs> all right so basically who are the other members of the the band um phil carroll's the only one that's with us technically as a band member um so in the past we've we've had uh bill barnett who's recorded a lot of our stuff at Gung Ho, he's played a lot of the guitar parts and things. Um, some friends of ours, Christine and uh, Chad McAllister, um, they're a duo called Bees in a Bottle from Portland, Oregon, Pennsylvania originally. Um, and they played a lot on some of the other albums as well. A couple of people I haven't met, Tracy met them, um, they played horns on the first album. And, um, but it's really, often a collaborative. It's mostly just us as a duo. Right. And then Phil, obviously, Phil, Phil's the, he's really the meat and potatoes of it all. Um, because he's the multi-instrumentalist and, and he yeah. does a lot of those, those things that we can't, I can't, I should say, speak for myself. Um, I write with hack piano and, and, and that's, that's where it goes from there. But my parts do survive on occasion. Basically, y'all sent us the the album called Blues. That was a kind of a file sharing effort um, recently of just all basically blues, two covers and some other stuff. And um, it kind of went a little bit of a different way than we usually go. We have a little bit more of an indie soft rock sound. But here we kind of branched out and did. I really am a huge fan of the blues 
kind of why I started playing bass because I was really into playing blues bass and played a lot in Portland, Oregon. But my writing different. It's indie. It's alternative. It's just original music. But I really have a lot of respect for blues and jazz. So it's kind of a nod to, um, you know, a nod to the blues genre of which I've often wanted to play. I dig it. I love it. So I was reading up on it. It said this is a bunch of original songs in two covers that were typically played during your live sets, but had not been previously released. Is that true? Yeah. Exactly. Um, cool. I thought it was pretty cool that you'd been playing them all these years and uh, you decided to, hey, we're going to release this. The whole album has a really cool feel to it, um, not only from the songs that were written and being played, but the sound. It's like you were going for a specific sound. So I really enjoyed that. And it was consistent throughout the whole album. Thank so I, I enjoyed that just from a recording standpoint. I enjoyed it, and it was different from from your last release. Yeah, yeah. Some may not like it, you know. But no, but I, I think that's, that's why I liked it. It was nice to hear your range and what else you could do. A lot of people like to pigeonhole themselves, and I think it's a great – it's a personal thing for me. I love when artists can – do multiple things and aren't afraid to show it off. What well, like why get stuck in one thing? It's great. And I also love the blues. So Yeah, that was my whole thing with it, you know. I think we started out well, I don't think I was there. Um we did start out as a rhythm section playing blues in Portland. Yeah. Uh, at, a, at a nasty uh, Saturday market. And <laughs> I'll say nasty because you because the sewer blew up the stink. <laughs> that we was nasty. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, it's crazy anyway. That's nowadays. where we met Phil, though. It was wonderful. Uh, we were playing with a guy named Brian Tatton earlier, and um, late night in love with the blues came out of that era. I think the blues album was kind of centered around that piece. Not really, because um, if you can ask Tracy and we're Kind of both sick to death of it. God, if I ever hear um, that song, we've again. played it a lot, but um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it it was the the album was mm. kind of more or less evolved around that single, um, you know, just because we've we've played it live and people would say, "Wow, I want the CD with that yeah. song on it." Uh, well, you know, oh. we didn't have it, so <laughs> so you no. told them to shut up. No, yeah, well, we should suck it. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm man. You're nice getting nothing, Tracy. Yeah, I'm not nice. I, I, she's, she's like, she's, it's nice I, to want. She's more no. prone that way. Yeah, I don't like getting messed with people. Oh, so, I like her so, so much. So I was listening to the album, and I have to tell you, it's kind of funny how I was listening to it. So she, she kicked y'all stuff over to me in an email, and. I was in my car, 12 a.m., driving around the city trying to find an open Walgreens or CVS to get baby formula or uh, and or uh, water, you know, like distilled water. Yeah, for the yeah. So I was listening to y'all stuff while I was doing that, and that totally like made me chill out. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't a danger to anyone because no one else but me was out. But um, Did you but find- anyway, so that's kind of how I was introduced to your stuff. So I like wrote all these notes in the as I was driving in the car. Did you find the Walmart? I found a Walgreens and CVS right across from each other, about thirty-five minutes from my house. Oh. But that was after I drove to three others, and it said they were open. But when I got there, they would not let me in. <laughs> for Brent, you're just like open, open, open. I was like in the Ghostbusters when the dude is being attacked by the dog, and he's like, ah, and he's against the wall, let me in, and and he gives one last scream, and the dog attacks him, but so everyone goes back to eating. I'm curious about something. As an old retail guy, I'd like to say I'm an old retail guy. I'll probably be there again sometime when I need to eat. But uh, shit, I, do you? try the door anyway, even when it says closed. I'm just curious. I used to watch people come up to the door when I was working and, and they would, you know, store was closed, lights are out, the sign's up, and they would always try the door anyway. Well, Rod, 
I'll be honest with you. If I don't have to get out of the car, I'm not getting out of the car. Nice. Now, on occasion, I have pulled on an open door, but that's because I don't know how to read. So there you go. Well, that's, you know what? That sounds like a genuine Texan to me. And I don't mean the reading part. <laughs> <laughs> the car thing, it, yeah. Rod, you're supposed to wait until I'm off the phone to say that shit, man. Wow, man. <laughs> bashing, dude. No, I We're told in you Texas. Already. I told you right up. I love Texas. Hey, I got a question real quick. Yeah. I was, I was reading stuff about y'all, and did Joe Perry of Aerosmith play with y'all once? Yes. that's He played with us with that stinker song. We How the hell did you even get that to happen? It did. It was the weirdest thing that ever did happen. Actually, it was completely just, random. Yeah, it was totally random. It's like how those things happen. I mean, honestly, it was totally random. The guy just came up. Well, here's 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 the what what he was doing there. He, one of his favorite guitar shops is in Portland, Oregon. Okay. So that means that Aerosmith was playing a concert in Richfield, Washington, which is just right, Sunlight right over the Columbia yeah. River. So, it's sunlight. It's the big so he was killing time that day. He was cruising around the market. Yes, and, he was. And uh, oddly enough, there we were. We, Phil was with us at that time. Oh, Phil, Phil Carroll, um, Tracy and I, and Brian Tatman. And we were playing, uh, I think we were playing some a blues tune probably a blues rock of some sort but uh this guy came up to the stage and uh, says hey i've got a, a friend here you know he'd like to sit in with y'all and we looked up and uh our guitarist had a couple of guitars on stage you know which was always a mistake because somebody always wants to play <laughs> i see you've been through that anyway yeah so <laughs> so he said without even looking up Brian was just, he, he just says, nah, I don't think so. And this fellow says, well, you might actually want to consider letting this guy come up and play. He's, he's the lead guitarist from Aerosmith. And we looked up and sure as hell, there it was. It was, it was Joe Perry. Um, I, I didn't really recognize him, but, you know, it had been 20 years since I'd been into Aerosmith and listened to him and, and, uh, you know, I saw him, I just thought, wow, I, you know, I saw him in the audience a little earlier, just kind of cruising around. I thought, well, that guy has a pretty cool hat, you know, because I was looking for a new lid and you know, losing it on top and stuff like that. So, um, but anyway, that was basically how it happened. And then everybody was, oh, okay, yeah, well, sure, you know. And so, um, but in my infinite wisdom, I picked really what is a, a song that's written in a horn key by Elton John called Stinker. It's, it's written in E flat. And um, I think it's E flat, E flat, B flat, something like that. Everything he wrote back in the seventies was in E flat. So, um, I'm a big Elton fan, by the way, but that's beside the point. And that's really pretty much how it happened is, is he just was killing time down there at Saturday market. And we just happened to be weird enough looking and, Maybe it seems safe to him. I don't know, but that's that's a cool story, man. Because I'll be honest, I played a lot of shows, and never has anyone from anywhere other than the drunk guy sitting at the corner of the bar that peed his pants. He's the only one that ever wants to get up on stage with me. So kudos on you, man. And yeah, that, that was crazy. No, no seriously, so I got the pictures. I was like, here, sign my base. You guys signed my bass, my pick card. I was like, well, Tracy and Joe, were, they spoke a lot because the, Tracy both has have big, big ass horse tattoos. Yeah, they have tattoos on their arms of, of their horses or something. Yeah. So they had something in common. That's a cool never story. Know. Never know who you might meet. So there's a thing where if you have extra guitars on stage, people just assume they can play with you. Mm. Is that a thing? I've never well, seen this. And does that mean, side note, for myself, if there are extra microphones on the stage That's that are being used, I can be like, yo, let me hit, let me have that. That That's okay. That's a thing. How did I not know this? I don't think so. I don't know. It Would you say We've had some okay? crazy yeah. shit happen though. Like once in, in Michigan, where was that place in Michigan? We played some dive bar in Michigan. We went in there, we were opening for this other band. 
and we got in there. The rod was it was a drum set set up. We did keys and piano. I don't. It was before we started using drum tracks. And some girl like like we're right in the middle of a song. We turn around and the girl who was like following us at, at her act. She was like sitting in on the drum set, trying to play drums along with one of our tunes, which was an original. And it was it was tough, man. It, it, so it don't do hard. it. Okay. Yeah, I don't think don't do so. It. Okay. I, mean, I, I wouldn't have the, I mean, a jam's one thing, but I, I was pretty shocked. I was like, it's, it's hard too when you're a bass player that I had to like totally like tune her out because she wasn't on, her timing was bad. So I was like, whoa, you don't even. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know the song, sweetie. Playing this song part and hope that, yeah, let me just keep playing this bass part and hope that you're going to understand that maybe you, you can fit in, you know, instead of bashing away how many albums have you put out now up to all together four. Four. four and in doing four albums tracy it's it sounds to me like you prefer to play live and have that freedom of movement than you do the recording process is that correct uh no i, <coughs> I like the studio process because you always get a product that sounds good you know, yeah, that's I mean, finished that's nice. and it, yeah, and it, it, it never, it never changes. There's your, there's your moment in history, your fifth, whatever you want to call it. You're and it never like 10 years from now, it's going to be the same thing always. Right. right. But in playing live, I think if you've got a good musical connection with your players, your other players, and there's a groove going on, some cool things can happen and it makes life a better place. You know, that's what I think. I just think that music is such a, good thing it's a light you know and there's enough darkness in the world right now so so it's good that's the truth you know and just enjoy it and try to if one thing you do musically makes one person think it's okay or makes their day better then it's worth it to me all of it you know yeah I never really went into music um I, I went into music to 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 learn how to play an instrument as well as I could play it and, and to, to, I knew it was a lifetime deal. You know, I knew there'd be some days are better than others. The COVID was really kind of shitty. So nobody played. Like there were times when I didn't play as much as I wanted to at all. I was working, you know, another job. And, and that was the priority at that time. And you know how that goes. And um, so I really always try to keep the uh, thought in music is that it's a gift. It's a gift to be able to play it. It's a gift to have the brain power to even write a song or uh, play a cover or whatever. So I always try to look at it like that and put it different. Like if I've got to do a cover, which I do, I'll just do it how I'm going to do it. I would never insult the, the main artist by trying to emulate their deal. It's not going to sound like their deal. You know, I, I was like on Driving Wheel. I did it as, as well as I could considering I play bass and sing it. But Etta James did it best, you know, she just wailed right into oh, that. Etta. Yeah, and so I can't ever compare with someone with that vocal ability. So I just tried to make the song my own, you know, and cover it with some heart, you know. Cool. So let's talk about Last Stop Bloomington. Yes. So I was reading yeah. up on that, and that was about the death of someone. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I'm a huge fan of 90s grunge. That was, I just love my favorite band of all, Alice in Chains. Yes. I want to see Gary Cantrell. He's coming to Denver. I'm hoping to get up there and see him. We'll see if that happens or not, but I'd love to see him in his new band and then they're back on tour. But I was also a huge fan of Stone Temple Pilots and we toured a lot and we were in uh, a place that we were playing a gig called Bloomington, Minnesota, I think it was. And somehow we were, at this place and we were talking to these people that had actually the show that that guy died at, they had worked at. They, they were there the, the, the night before or whatever, and they did a rehearsal or whatever. And I remember the girl um, that worked there at this, at this venue, it was kind of mid range venue had seen Scott Weiland. And I, I said, well, how did he see him? And she, she was like, she didn't really want to say it. It kind of made me sad. She said he, he, he walked by like he was a ghost. I guess the next day he was found 
gone, you know, but so it was when we were there, it really kind of struck me. And, you know, I did a little research and, and, and looked at, you know, how everybody tours and tour buses. Well, you know, what's so creepy about all that is, you know, somebody might die in a tour bus and then as soon as the tour's over, they'll clean it up and somebody else is touring in it. And, you know, you don't even know you might be touring in the same bus that Scott Weiland died in, which, you know, is probably more than likely the case. And that led to this song that I was thinking about where you know, he re I really felt he was a bright spark. So I just was thinking about how it was with him and, and, you know, what his life was like and maybe some of the things he never said or, you know, driving cross country, writing down song notes on a scrap of paper and, and then I got in his head, you know, like a conductor calling out, last stop Bloomington, last stop Bloomington. And all I could kind of think of when I wrote the song was like, you know, the, the guy, that was it. That was his last stop. You know, he didn't even make the show. He died before the show. And uh, it, it, it just all kind of the lyrics came from there. And then I just put it in into a kind of a musical thing. But that's somehow... Uh, I'll be affected by certain people or things and I'll write songs. That's usually how it always works with me. A certain thing will make me kind of obsessive or think about a thing and then out will come a song over it. And so that song really was written about um, just the, the talented man that he was. And unfortunately, his last stop was Bloomington and it was too bad. And it happens to many, but just so it just, inspired lyrics that just came like when I started writing the song it didn't take long I just like god what a life you know what a life lived
I'm going to have to do another song because I know that Rod wrote this one. It's called What You're Told, correct? Oh, no. Uh, Phil Carroll wrote that. What did you write? You wrote one, correct? Wasn't it yeah. unspoken? Late Night in Love with the Blues. Okay. Say that name again because I wrote down a different one and I, it's my bad. Oh, well, maybe I got it wrong on the album cover. No, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure I didn't, but it would be the kind of thing I would do. Uh, no, uh, yeah, no kidding. Late Night in Love with the Blues was, was uh, the only contribution of mine on, on this album. Dude, you played drums. That's a pretty big contribution. Well, drums on everything, man. That, yeah, I guess. You're a good drummer, this one. I used to be. <laughs> Come on, monster. You're not dead yet. Well, maybe I was okay. so do you want to talk about that song kind of give us some background about it like why'd you write it were you in a good mood did you have jock itch you know stuff like that (laughs) oh yeah yeah late night in love with the blues you know what a lot of songs it's disappointing to people when you tell them um if you're familiar with postmodernism in literature which basically means I can't read, man. Well, it's, that's, that's, you're lucky. But it's so, what, it. what postmodernism basically is based, is, is all that. <laughs> the piece is written with no particular intent or meaning, or, you know, it's, it's open to interpretation. It's written in a way that people can grab onto it and say, oh, that's what's going on, you know. And it's really disappointing when people find out that when you've written something and it really didn't mean that much to you. Um, and they really relate to it. Damn, you know, you were just, I was feeling you. And so, so Rod, make up something, make up a good story, just anything. Anything. Well, Late Night in Love with the Blues was just uh, written about a failed relationship um and that's pretty much the 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 issue there so that's that's the spark of of reality that was involved in it um so was it in the process of failing or was it already failed oh good question um what about me would, you'd me, have to me, say me. It, was it about me 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 no. <laughs> really? can you imagine <laughs> well anyway without going into that. <laughs> uh, I'm really starting to feel like it was about her. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not so sure that... No, it, it, that it wasn't. When I, I, take, I, I grab from a lot of, of sources that happen. No. And, and it, it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean anything. And, and I'm, I'm afraid on this one, it was it was a little bit of, of both. There was a, a, a bit of, of a failed marriage, but uh, at, at the same time, there was a, a little bit of uh, of embellishment and just creativity. Just, uh, sometimes when you're when you're in a rut writing wise, you I I do anyway. Um, I will just exercise and write sentences and just work with prose. Period. Just to kind of get out of a slump or you know, when I feel like I don't have anything to say. Um, yeah, there's a, there's there's no real good story there. I'm sorry. Yeah, mine always has some kind of story. Well, you said it had to do with the divorce, so there's a, probably a story behind Maybe. that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, he's tight-lipped. He's not going to share any of the dirt. This guy's kind of like no, he Walters, you know, if, in, in a way that, uh, you know. He, he, hey, Nell, don't let him Yeah, but it. Barbara Walters would never say this. Rod, give me the scoop on the poop. <laughs> she well, she would say it in a different way, you know.
talk about that phil wrote was called unspoken that's a great song man that is a great song 
I was listening to it and it reminded me of one of my favorite movie tracks from the late 80s. It was a movie called Fright Night. Wow. And the song was Come to Me by Brad Fidel. And it's wow. and basically it's a kind of a seductive rock song that the, but they built the entire soundtrack around that song. And so the the melody of the song is playing throughout the whole movie. And the reason it sounded this song sounded like that song was because of the electric guitar and how the effects on it. And it just sounded like it was so distorted that it was crying. It sounded like a possessed saxophone or something. It just, Ooh, yeah, it was really awesome. But I thought that song was just really interesting and it had a bunch of textures to it. Rod, do you want to talk about how you contributed to that song? What, I, what in essence happened is I played a drum track for Phil and I told him, okay, just take this and do whatever you want with it. So those are my drums, but they're very much Phil Carroll's arrangement. And even some of the fills are created. And it's it's crazy cool how creative that guy is. But I love it. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not one of those musicians that lays something down in the studio and then shits his pants when it's, it's tweaked and 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 textured you know and I, I think it was really cool what he did with it as far as my contribution it was just the drums and in their raw state and and phil took them and ran with it, and it was pretty cool. hey rod i need you to muster up your guitar god inside you your rock god inside of you and just just say i wrote the drum track and i let him have it and it totally inspired this great song because i did this <laughs> well, I like I like the way you said your guitar god because that that's pretty much a, a a guitarist trait I think isn't it or maybe I'm wrong about that. Tracy, do you have any input on this song? I liked the song a lot. I thought that Phil, you know what, there was a part in it that almost kind of sounded a little Gary Wrightish, you know, mm-hmm. Gary Wright from Dreamweaver. Mm-hmm. You know, but I really liked it. I thought it had a good solid baseline to it. It, it kind of anchored it. And then Phil really, um, he played keys and bass synth and all this cool stuff that he added to it. And, I, and you know, he doesn't, Phil's a pretty cool guy. He doesn't really like his voice. So, you know, he doesn't, sometimes I don't think he enunciates, but I thought it was a really touching, like almost like a love song. That's what, that was the vibe that I got from it, you know? That it was it was somebody that was talking about their I I thought maybe it, it was written about his wife or something you know he was st- talking about this woman the unspoken words that meant the most you know which in, in a lot of ways is true in life you know it's what people don't say sometimes yeah. well I'll be honest it was very sensual yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's a good song that's what I picked up from it too. Wow. So, Tracy, you didn't play the bass on that one? No, you know, he sent me the bass line, so I copped the bass line, and I I was like, okay, you want me to do 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 But after a few takes, I realized that I didn't feel in my heart of hearts that the bass line that he wrote needed to be changed. And I'm like, Phil, what's wrong with the bass line that you've got? It's really badass. I mean, I didn't write, you know what I mean? It's really badass. So I can do one of two things. I can replicate your baseline and add a little bit of my own flair to it. But I really liked, like, that's the one thing I feel about um, if you're going to serve the song, then you know that sometimes you may not be in it. You know what I mean? Like, that's the only song on the album I didn't play bass for. And I did, I, I did, I could have, like, I had, I had the same riff going and, and I could have, slapped it on there but why would, I, yeah. why would i do that because i thought his baseline was great you know what i mean and he doesn't really he's not even really a bass player that's why i thought it was so cool y'all guys are so humble i think i'm gonna vomit really? <laughs> yeah. y'all guys Dude, come on how do you get up there and perform if you don't like have a rock god deep inside you well, Tracy, I know you have a rock god. Deep. I do because I'm actually can have a tendency to sometimes be a condescending motherfucker when I want to be, <laughs> and that that is I have an issue sometimes with humanity. So as long as I, that I try to 
<laughs> not just one person, the entire thing. Yeah, yeah humanity no, I, in I, general kind of sucks right now. Well, I, I also, I think that, you know, I, I didn't, during the, the recording of this uh, blues album, I was working full time and my other job was just heinous. And, and, I, and I was like under the gun and things were crazy. And so I was just putting in what I could to try to just keep in touch with music because at that point, um, I, I, you know, I was busting out 12 hour shifts and really a scene that's really, was really stressful. And, and the music was like a light at the end of the tunnel, you know? So I was, I, I think like, I felt like I didn't play very good bass on this last album because I was kind of torn in a lot of ways. I didn't have a lot of time. I hadn't been playing as much as I wanted to, you know, I was, I was um, working hard at that point in time. Like now I feel much better because I'm not doing that same work at this point for a while. And um, it allows creativity. Some jobs, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but I really have. Like if, if you have a certain type of job, it can really kick creativity's ass. Like you, your job can sometimes be so different from like playing music and being doing that that it just kicks kicks your ass and you come home and you're just like ah, I can't even play my fucking bass dude I'm I've been doing that for a year girl like a year I'm like when and I'm and I use music as medicine but I have no no energy left to write so I just end up putting headphones on and getting lost in wherever YouTube decides to take me yeah I, I I'm with you. The whole COVID scene, that's, that was, it was basically the whole couple of years. It's, it's much mellower now, but for the whole couple of years of COVID when it was strong, I was busting my ass, man. Yep. Speaking of getting lost though, in, in Tracy's defense as well, um, on this album, we, because it was blues, we wanted to kind of stay, and maybe this is just my personal interpretation of the blues, but it's, a, it's okay to have a personal interpretation it's, uh, it's all right we'll we'll let you have that okay and too many people do yeah, yeah. yeah but here yeah. you go yeah but blues is is a little bit in my opinion a little looser and that doesn't mean that it's that's not a bad thing um it's more akin to jazz in a way that that you roll through it and that's your take and yeah. you live with your take and i think we kind of at least i know i did i kind of approach this album in that way I that, too. that rather than fine tuning and tweaking and, and trying to get everything straight and perfect as we have in the past, um, we let a little of this stuff breathe. Yeah, um, for sure.
Well, and our next album, which we've already started, will be more like our like the album before. It'll be a little bit more like that, you know what I mean? We got some, we already have another album. We got a lot of music. It's just, you have to. Back to the weird stuff. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, it will be back to the more weird stuff because that's definitely. Well, I liked your weird stuff, but I really like this too. I just like it in a different way. I found this, I I, I like your other stuff because I can really feel the indie rock. I can feel the grunge influence is heavy, but with this one, the blues really shined through really well. And I feel like grunge kind of takes from blues, especially when it comes to bass lines and, and it worked really well. I enjoyed it. It's one of, it's become one of some of these tracks have become like my little chill. I'm doing dishes. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, man. Hey, I wanted to ask you, um, when you're up on the stage, do you ever, like, do you ever start out calm and then like into the, middle of the first or second song realize oh shit i'm on the stage people are watching me i'm a musician what am i doing you ever do that um sometimes when i fuck up and i have no idea how to get back (laughs) (laughs) you're like shit everybody heard that (laughs) yeah actually i'm kind of getting used to that too but it's um mostly i I, I'm pretty comfortable up there. Uh, it's when I'm out in the crowd that I'm a little bit edgy and not so not so at peace. That's um, interesting because I'm comfortable sometimes, but then sometimes I realize I have a great love of music, not only from a, a playing it point, but just listening to it. I mean – I just love music. And so when I'm up on stage, sometimes I'll start and I'll be fine because I'm busy getting set up. I'm talking to people. I'm doing that stuff. And so I don't have time to like actually think about what's going on. But then once I get into my set, I can like actually think, oh, my God, I'm playing a song. No, we're all good. So where are y'all playing at next? Here's the place. It's in Trinidad, uh, Colorado, right over the border. It's called Flojo's Tavern Hall, and and that that's our that's our big gig. We're gonna try out our weird music on the locals, um, which is 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 I don't know how it's gonna go to tell you the truth. It's kind of this area is kind of like where I grew up in that there's there's a lot of southern rock fans, there's a lot of country fans, and that type of genre a little bit of blues um but really there we haven't heard anything quite like what we tend to lay on people so hey rod i think y'all will be fine you just gotta let tracy use her personality to win people over that's pretty much it how how could you help it oh i know i was gonna say she can't help it anyway but I want to party with her, man. Yeah. <laughs> Where can fun. people find your music? It's it's pretty much everywhere. Apple Music, Spotify, you know, as far as the streaming services and the the usual suspects. Um, our our website is probably the best place to get it. Um, just look up thegroovebirds.com. Thank you for uh, taking time out of your busy day to hang out with us for a little bit. It was nice to meet y'all and nice to talk to y'all. And um, thank you so much for having us. Always, Uncle Brett. Brett, good to meet you. You guys rock. Man, what a great episode! I really like the Groove Birds. Yeah, I do too. They're awesome. I'm hoping to meet them in person one day, sometime soon. Uh, maybe in October, something strange will happen. Something strange and unusual. I guess we kind of already let the bag out of the cat. The bag out of the cat. (laughs) It's fine. We're two very tired, overworked, overstretched adults, so we're allowed to say shit that doesn't make sense. That's nice. That was a really interesting band. They were very humble and incredibly humble yes i was hoping that rod would like muster up some type of rock star stuff nope and he'd just 
It's it's the funniest thing to hear. I told you. Well, actually, nothing really happened. Oh, I wrote <laughs> that song about nothing. But absolutely <laughs> nothing. I'm but just anyway. able to write music like that. I am a fucking talented badass. So we hope that y'all enjoyed this episode and that you'll listen to our other episodes if you haven't listened to them. The way that you do that is how do how can they find us? So you basically just type in Sound Pollution Podcast and your Google browser or whatever browser you like to use. And, and we are, in fact, Googleable at this point, which is awesome. And it'll pull up all the hundred different ways to listen to us. I do love to be Google. My favorite thing. Everybody needs a good Googling. Um, the only, uh, I've got us pretty much switched over. And, and for whatever reason, now it's not... We're back on Spotify and everything, and now it's not shooting it over to YouTube. So I'm going to start making our own YouTube videos again. And that's just what we're going to do. Bam. So anyway, if you find us on YouTube or any of the sites you love to stream, it would be fantastic if you could give us a like, heart us, comment. Subscribe um, and download. Subscribe, download, subscribe, and then Uh download again. Create another profile, subscribe and download again. So basically what we're trying to tell you is mm-hmm. just subscribe and download. Have your friends subscribe and download, even if they don't want to listen. It just it. is good. It's like playing with fire folks, but we have some cool stuff happening. Yeah. We, we got some, some cool people coming on board and we have some good interviews for y'all, okay. but it helps, you know, if people see that, you know, all 12 of y'all are downloading and subscribing. Everybody wants to be on the podcast. Yeah. I'm, but he said, you I guess to do it too. Yeah, Come your on. mom, grandma, Mima. Mom, your grandma, Mima. your daughter, your brother, your sister, and your mother, mother too. About to go down. No, okay, I, I'm. Don't do that Raise again. Your hands. <laughs> All right, everybody. That's our shenanigans for the day. Brent, it was nice to see your face. It was nice to see the Groovebirds and everybody get out there and make some noise. <laughs>